as, um, as I think a little bit about my relationships, there's a couple people in my life that I think about that are really important to me, my wife uh, and my two daughters, but there's other people that I interact with too, people in my workplace, colleagues that I work with, and sometimes I bring my emotions to work with me. So how many of you uh, find yourself bringing your emotions uh, with you to the relationships that are most important, like a spouse or a child or something like that? How many of you bring your emotions with you to that? Yeah, okay. How many of you bring your emotions to work with you? Okay, a few of you. When I worked construction, it was a lot easier to take my emotions out on that nail or that house I was uh, demolishing. It's a lot harder when it's like an email and I start taking my emotions out on the email. Um, but, um, you know, when we ask these existential questions of who am I, uh, the world around us, the soup or the, the, the kind of the ocean that we're swimming in says that we should be successful we should be independent. We don't need help. Um, if you're an American like I am, you probably uh, were raised with this idea that you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, that you need the American dream is that you can be an entrepreneur. The next Facebook could be you. You can start your own business. You can own your own home and property. Uh, you can do it yourself. Uh, DIY is the American dream. Do it yourself, right? I do a lot of projects myself. I take a load-bearing wall out and put a beam in, and I am super proud, even though the drywall is yet to be finished. Um, but that's how my life is, really. You know, my life is kind of a, a hodgepodge of do-it-yourself moments and there's a lot of broken things there. And so like I alluded to earlier, to respond to this question, who am I, to ask the existential question, we, we need to respond in a way that's bigger than just ourselves, bigger than just the individualism of the American dream. We need a response that says, I am broken, and that's okay, and we are broken. So who am I? And who are we? Well, we are the loved or the beloved of Christ, as we were reminded last week. And so I want to kind of uh, piggyback onto what Claire was reading from Ephesians last week. And there's a passage in Ephesians chapter 5 that says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, if you're going to follow Christ's example of love, then you need to look at the cross and realize his broken body is his example. His being pierced for the transgressions of others is his example. He set the world right. He was the sign, the type on the lifted up by dying to set the world right. He fixes the brokenness of the world not by being unbroken, but by becoming broken. It's through his wounds that we are healed. And so that passage, um, or so this passage uh, that we're going to read today from Isaiah 53, if you have it uh, open in your Bibles, I encourage you uh, to open up there to Isaiah 53. We're going to kind of look at this poem. But I think this is the poem that the gospel authors had in mind as they saw Jesus on the cross. They realized that Jesus didn't come perfectly. Uh, he came broken. He took on the brokenness of the world 
And in his death, he set things right and pointed to a time where we would be healed ultimately. And, um, and sure, for you and me, it might seem easier to kind of approach our relationships with our spouses and our children by trying to kind of do things well and focus on our strengths. There's a lot of strength-based leadership stuff out there. It might be that in your work, you want to focus on the positives, what's going well, and how can we build on that. That's important. But today, I want us to focus on our brokenness. I want us to name that, and in doing so, let the light of Christ shine through. It's my favorite song by the band Switchfoot. Uh, goes like this. Um, Your scars shine like dark stars. Yeah, your wounds are where the light shines through. So let's go there to that place where we sing these broken prayers where the light shines through. The wound is where the light shines through. Yeah, the wound is where the light shines through. Today, the light of Christ should shine through. When we say, I am broken, the light of Christ was broken on the cross, who was broken on the cross, he gets to shine through our brokenness. And if you're pretending to be perfect, then uh, maybe you're in the wrong place. If you're uh, not bringing your brokenness uh, to work with you, then I think maybe you're missing a chance to point people like that bronze snake did, point people to the one who can save them. You can't save yourself, and you can't save your spouse, and you can't save your coworker, and you can't save your neighbor. You can only point them to Jesus who does save them. And so we are broken, and hopefully as we are broken, we point to a Christ who took on the brokenness of the world, and we point to a time when that brokenness will be made new when he comes again. So Isaiah 53, let's read this poem together. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This servant, this person that the the poem is talking about, grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took on our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living." For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand." 
After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him my portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This uh, time that Isaiah was written is a time of exile. Uh, It's a little bit hard to know exactly. Some commentators seem to think that there's several voices writing in Isaiah, and one of them might be the actual man, Isaiah, who lived, and maybe this poem is about his life and how he was stricken and how he was a suffering servant. But there's also kind of a voice that seems to say this is the people of Israel in exile who are witnessing through their suffering in exile to the hope of God in the future, a community of suffering servants. Then there's the gospel writers who quickly point to Jesus as being the one who is the suffering servant. In Acts chapter 8, the gospel writer Luke, who's who's recording the book of Acts, talks about Philip who's one of the early uh, preachers of the gospel walking on the desert road and he hears a man in a chariot, an Ethiopian eunuch, reading this very passage in Isaiah. And he overhears him him reading about being crushed for his transgressions and he's asking a question. Philip gets in the chariot and begins to explain to uh, the Ethiopian that this is about Jesus, the one who was crushed for our iniquities. Uh, That even though we are all like sheep who've gone astray, Jesus takes on our sins. Uh, And so I think it's right to, to think about how we as the church are also the community of broken and wounded people who witness and testify to that Messiah, the ultimate one who takes on our brokenness. In the exile, this time of of profound spiritual searching, many voices from the prophets point to this new covenant in God uh, that that God is going to put on human hearts. Ezekiel talks a little bit about dreaming a dream of hearts of stone becoming filled, dry bones becoming filled with the spirit of life. That the sacrificial day of atonement that the Israelites celebrated every day was a washing away of the sins of the people. And Isaiah 53 contributes to that, to this spiritual quest for an answer of the question of who am I and the identity that in my brokenness, God is replacing that pattern of punishment by a wholeness that's accompanied by a heart that embraces God's compassion and righteousness. You see, the servant's identity is a total surrender to God's will, even to the extent that he took on the consequences of the sin of the community upon himself, even though he was innocent of wrongdoing. In your life, you may have patterns of sin and consequences And what we may see is Jesus is taking on the consequence for those sins. And our invitation is that our broken world around us, our neighbors, our spouse relationships, the places in our life where we need, uh, where we see brokenness all over the place is an opportunity for us to take on that broken community. I am broken like Christ was broken on the cross for my community, and for the relationships that I'm in. I like to see uh, the relationships 
that we have as vehicles God employs to conform us more into the image of Christ. So thinking a little bit about my wife and I, um, there's kind of this merging of two identities. There's Janelle, my wife, and me. And then there's this other thing that's like the us, right? And when we come together, there's really two essential things needed in that us-ness, in that relationship. There's love, answering that identity question, and trust. Or you might kind of say uh, love and safety. Am I safe in this relationship? And pain results from violations of love and trust in the relationship. So things happen, and it causes me to feel like I'm a failure. I have a, a kind of a wheel of, of an image of Janelle and I's pain cycle. Janelle feels uh, like she's unworthy and insecure, and then I uh, feel insignificant and a failure. And what we argue about is not those feelings, but we argue about how each other copes with our feelings. So you could think about it this way. When someone uh, causes that violation of love and trust, then you have that fight or flight response. You either blame and try and control the person or you withdraw by shaming and escaping. Maybe you have some coping behaviors like I do, like you become sarcastic or you uh, become negative or you whine and become needy. Um, I think there's, a, there's an image of this pain and peace cycle if you go down a few slides there. Um, and, and there's this time in my life where I'm a little bit worried uh, that, that I'm kind of breaking the relationship. I'm breaking the relationship because I, I just, I can't get out of this cycle. This cycle where uh, the way she feels causes her to cope with it in a certain way that then fuels my feeling of failure because I don't think uh, that I'm a, because I think I'm a failure, I become uh, throwing a pity party um, and then on and on it goes. It causes her to feel unworthy or devalued and she then escapes or becomes depressed and then it on and on and on it goes. You could maybe imagine um, this in your own life and maybe there's some different feelings that you have. And I've come to realize that uh, the wounds are, are pretty, pretty hard uh, to see them with any sort of hope. Um, and then I come to Isaiah 53 and I realize that the true self, as uh, Paul Hansen says, the true self is found when it's given away to others, even when that givenness implies obedience to death. For amidst all the uncertainties of life, one reality abides, the reality of God's presence. And so the identity of the people of God is in this life of his presence. And from there, flows the desire to obey and the strength to endure. So in the pain and peace cycle, uh, or in the pain cycle, we have an opportunity to find our way into a peace cycle. And so like the pain cycle, we might 
experience these feelings of, of violations of love and trust, the questions of am, who am I and am I safe? But when we're in our peace cycle, we get to choose to believe a truth about ourselves and about others that we're in a relationship with. So when I feel like I'm a failure or when Janelle feels unworthy, we have the opportunity to know that God is with us and that God's truth revealed in scripture and revealed in, in Christ um, is that I am loved and I am adequate. And even when I make a mistake and when I miss the mark and when I'm broken, there is a point where I can say I'm never alone. And that truth allows me then to make a choice, to consciously choose to do something different instead of coping with my feelings of failure, when, instead of coping with my brokenness in an unhelpful way. When we find our identity in Christ, we're able to act in beneficial ways to ourselves and others, and our brokenness no longer breaks others. Our brokenness no longer becomes the point uh, at which the relationship ends and instead becomes an opportunity for the relationship to point to Christ where the light can shine through the wounds. So in peace, when I choose to tr believe the truth, I might act instead of in blaming and controlling ways, I might act in nurturing ways and balance. I might value and connect with the other person rather than shaming or withdrawing. Uh, you might find yourself uh, with some truth activities like listening or engaging or being self-controlled instead of addictive. Uh, you might be self-aware and inclusive uh, or relaxed. And so as Janelle uh, feels worthy, she's then able, or as she feels unworthy, she's able to reach into our identity in Christ and say, I am worthy and choose to act in a way that's more open and relaxed I am then able to, to hold on to God's truth that I'm adequate as a father, as, as a husband, and so then listen and engage and be more uh, in, instead of pouting. But the reality is when I bring my emotions uh, to a relationship, it's kind of like that movie Inside Out. Um, instead of our emotions being there to guide us towards how we feel, they take the wheel like anger getting the control panel and it's like this little red guy of fire and he's just bursting into flame. And we can then react instead of making intentional choices. But uh, I can't hold Janelle's truth I can't take the wheel for her life. I can't help her uh, believe and own God's truth. I'm only able to do that for myself. I can only hold the peace that I have. And, uh, and I think this is where it's really, really difficult. And so we call them the four stupid steps in our household um, where we simply do this out loud. We're not perfect at it. In fact, right now, uh, this sermon's way too real for Janelle and I. Um, we have some scheduling craziness happening uh, where with the two-year-old and the four-year-old and Janelle teaching and my preaching at churches like Harrisburg and all kinds of things, it feels like we're never at home together. And, uh, and I find myself having to remember the four stupid steps, and it is to say what you feel, to say what you normally do, to say the truth, though, and then to say what you will do differently so when I say what I feel, I feel like I'm a failure as a husband because we're just not communicating. And then I say what I normally do. Well, normally I would throw a pity party. 
it is really hard to throw a pity party once you've said it out loud that that's normally what you do. Um, so then I say the truth. And the truth is that I'm doing an adequate job and uh, I can choose to do something differently. I can choose to set aside some time to listen. I can set aside some time uh, to, to engage in conversation that's not about uh, the things that I am so worried about. Instead of throwing a pity party and talking about all the ways that I'm failing and, and kind of rev it up and seek consolation that way, I can do what uh, the prayer of St. Francis, this ancient prayer, which I think I have uh, a slide of, says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. What if the opportunity with your wounds and with your brokenness is for you to, through the light shining through, um, seek others even to death, to take on their brokenness, to take on the brokenness of our world and so point people to Christ who can ultimately set all things right. Instead of having our life look perfect on the outside, instead of saying, I'm handling the scheduling nightmare really well, I'm here to say, I am broken. To, instead of saying and putting up a picture of my beautiful wife and two daughters and say, we've got it all figured out, instead, I'm here to say, I am broken. And in that brokenness, and in bringing some of the ways in which I have created pain and in ways in which my heart feels like I'm a failure, I then get to name that. And hopefully through those wounds, even open wounds, the light of Christ might shine through. Because the identity of the people of God is found in the presence of God and there we find the strength to endure even the brokenness. And so I love how Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And a new song that's come out that I really like um, says, on earth as it is in heaven, right here in my heart. But if we have not yet first learned through our brokenness, how to pray, not my will, but yours be done. How, how can we actually live out God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? If we don't find in our brokenness um, the ability to say, God, I am, I'm messing this up. And if we're not willing to name it, then all people are going to see is the kingdom of Lars or the kingdom of Harrisburg Christian Church. They're not going to see the kingdom of God. They're not going to see God's will because they're going to just see our successes or our um, kind of shiny looking life, our version of what the good life might look like in our minds. But instead, if our scars were to shine like dark scars and our wounds or where Christ's light was to shine through. 
then maybe we could sing these broken prayers and it would be where the wound is where the light really does shine through. We as a community of people get a chance to be broken for the sake of the world, to bear and to be crushed. We can't fix all the big problems that are happening. We can't make it perfect. No human utopia is ever going to make things right. And so what if the church, what if Harrisburg Christian Church, what if Lars, what if Lars as, as dad of Ashlyn and Sloan, as husband of Janelle, as uh, director of university relations at Bushnell, as um, not great intramural volleyball player on Monday nights, as whatever it looked like, as neighbor at River Road, um, what if those were times where I named my brokenness? I named the brokenness of my community. And I said what I normally do. Well, I, normally I cope in this way. Normally I numb the pain. Normally I overfunction. Normally I rant and critique or become negative or whatever it is that we normally do to try and cover over the wounds. Instead, we announce to the world proudly, I am broken. This is the truth that I am broken. And in Jesus, he takes that brokenness and makes something really, really beautiful. The wound is where the light shines through. And in my brokenness, I believe Christ can shine through better than in my successes. And so the truth is that I'm adequate. I might not be perfect, but I'm adequate. And I can choose to engage with my neighbors. I can, choo- I can choose not to send that angry email, but instead walk down the hallway and have a conversation. I can choose in my marriage even when uh, we're overscheduled and busy and have two small children that we love dearly but make us a little bit insane, I can choose to listen and set aside some of my wants. I can choose not to throw myself a pity party but instead uh, engage in some healthy fun where we go watch a volleyball game and talk about things that seem totally pointless instead of having the existential conversation that Lars wants to have every day? What if instead we learn to pray the Lord's Prayer about God's kingdom? First, by waking up every morning and praying, not my will, God, but yours be done. Because in the garden, Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to have his body broken. He prayed that if it was possible, the cup of suffering would pass But he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. What if the suffering you're experiencing, the pain, the violations of love and trust, the experiences you have in your community where it just feels like the world is taking a nail to your hands and and breaking your body, breaking your spirit, breaking your heart. What if those opportunities where you got to name those things and name what you normally would do to cope with that and instead name God's truth you might actually be a walking example of the peace of Christ shining into a world of chaos. And it is through that brokenness, through the brokenness of our world, the brokenness of your life, the brokenness of our life and our community, we might point to the one who can heal it all, the healer of souls. And so that's my prayer today, that you would answer the question, who am I? Well, I am broken. So I want us to say that together today. Um, 
Let's do it first, who am I? I am broken, and then we'll do it together which, uh, as we are. So who am I? Who are we? We are broken. Yeah, we are broken. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's because it's where the light is going to shine through. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we might be broken today in a myriad of ways. Maybe we're physically broken, and our wounds are physical. Uh, maybe we need healing, and we are praying and seeking you, God. And maybe through those wounds, those physical wounds, we get to shine your light uh, and point to a to an time in heaven where we uh, no disease or, or uh, ailment of the body is going to overcome our spirits anymore. Maybe, God, we're broken relationally, and maybe uh, you are uh, in those relationships. I pray for, for me and Janelle as we navigate this time. God, heal our brokenness. Uh, God, I pray for, uh, for our world. Uh, maybe there's some brokenness here in Harrisburg that I'm not super familiar with, and, uh, and you are in that. May this church be a light uh, shining through the wounds. May your kingdom come and your will be done in our hearts, O oh God, because it's not our will, but yours being done. Help us in our brokenness to name it, uh, to share it with others, and, um, and God, help that to be a light to your ultimate healer. Thank you for the broken body of Christ. We pray this in our Savior's name, Jesus the Christ. Amen.